Everyone quietens down because Auntie Heather's going to speak. So I just wanted to let you know that when we were starting to plan this time for The Naked Truth, um, I had a dream. I actually um, had a... God reminded me of something that happened when Stan and I traveled um, actually many years ago. It was actually our very first overseas trip that we did together um, when we were married. And we went to Canada to see, um, we stayed with some family of mine in Vancouver, and they were fortunate enough to live right next to a river, quite a wide wide river, a natural river. And we were there over the salmon run. Now, I'm not sure if everybody knows what the salmon run is, but for those of you who don't, um, once a year, the salmon take their, the mother salmon, they take the eggs up river and they swim against the current and they go against the flow of the river and they do it in wild rivers and they swim against, if you Google it, I really want you to Google it, it's quite dramatic to watch. And they swim against the flow of the river and against the current of all the other fish who are swimming the other way to take their babies' eggs to hatch them further up the river for the season when those eggs will hatch. And it's incredibly dramatic to watch. And this family lived right on the edge of this river where we went to visit for tea. So we got to stand there and watch these little mother fish swim against these throngs of silver fish. It was quite dramatic and, you know, took everything in you not to want to jump in the river and pick up the mom fish and help carry her up the river because there she was getting battered by these other fish and against the rocks, but nothing deterred her from getting up that river. She jumped out the water, she swam, she, she dodged between these other fish. And I woke up and I had that memory of us watching this there's this mother trying to get up the, up the river to get to, to where she was going to lay her eggs. And I felt like that's what we were doing as we prepared and as you sit here and listen to the truths that we are telling you in this naked truth. I felt like you need to be equipped because I know as believers, that's what it's like for you. It's like you are swimming against the tide. You have got a million other fish, a million other social media, other truths that the world is telling you, and you have to swim against the current, against the culture, against what everybody is telling you. But I feel like if you take these truths, if you take the things that you feel are true inside, you will make it. I want to encourage you. You will make it. And you'll be able to get upstream, and as parents, you'll be able to help your children. And as single people, and as people leading home groups, and as married people, and as getting married people, and as grandparents, whatever you sit here as, you will be equipped to help the people on the journey, to help them get upriver so that they can lay their eggs for the next generation. Because you can do it. I honestly believe you can do it. So I really just wanted to, I just said to Stan, I felt like I wanted to share that picture with you because I really felt God remind me of it. And it was while we were in the preparation of doing this that actually we can do it, guys, and and we're not alone. Even though that mom looked like she was alone, when you Google it, because I went the other day and I was Googling it, it's amazing to watch. 
It's absolutely amazing to watch. So do yourself a favor. You're going to make it because we're all going to do it together. We're going to swim up river together. And it doesn't matter what is coming against us, we're going to make it. There we go. You guys. Okay. Some of you have come back. That's great to see. Wasn't that bad, eh? Weren't too shocked. And um, we did some pre-marriage counseling with a couple this week. And uh, we're sitting around the dining room table. And I, I said to them, so what are the expectations? What are your, what are your thoughts, you know? Anyway, they said, no, they were chatting to Josh and Sarah, um, and they were getting married. And um, the thing that Josh had said to them was, like, what are your expectations in your, for your sex life as a married couple? Josh, you did say that, right? I'm trying to compliment you. What it did is it opened up a, a, a whole, a whole um, avenue of conversation until, I don't know, I had to go pick the Cammy uh, up from youth at, I don't know, 9 o'clock or something. The whole time, and we spoke very frankly and very openly about sexuality and marriage. And their eyes were a little bit like, whoa. And, which was actually an amazing thing because they, they're getting married as virgins, both of them, and they're in their 20s, tw uh, mid-20s. And, um, and there was almost like a naive to naivety to their, to, their, to their reality, which is actually a beautiful thing. Um, but really, the, these moments are to speak truth into a culture. It says this in Romans chapter 12, which I think is what Heather was alluding to, verses 1 to 2. It says, so here's what I want you to do. This is Eugene Peterson, the message. So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. So take your whole life and place it before God as an offering. Embrace what God does for you as the best thing you can do for Him. Embracing what God does for you has given you as the best thing you can do for Him. Embrace it. Don't become, listen to this, don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Christianity, a walk with God, is a thinking person's walk. It's not, a, it's not a put your head in the sand and hope for the best. It's an engagement with your rational mind. It's beyond your rational mind, but it is an engagement with your rational mind. You can't limit it to that, but man, you've got to be thinking um, as a believer. So don't... Uh, don't uh, be so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. What does he want from me, Lord? Quickly respond to that. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. I've seen people in their teens, in their late teens, be more wise than people that are in their 30s, simply because they know Jesus. But simply because they know the Word of God. It makes you wise way beyond your years. 
particularly in a culture of immaturity like we have right now. So tonight what I want to do, and this is what we're wanting to do, we're wanting you to, to help you think. And that's why we want to do some Q&A. We'll do some Q&A tonight um, afterwards. Some good questions coming through on the slider. Um, is, it the same? is it the same everything? Okay, there we go. So tonight what I want to talk about, and I, and I kind of almost feel like um, this is like so simple, but it's actually not. And it needs to be said. So tonight what I want to do is I want to address two things, if I get time to. The first thing is this. What is sexual immorality and what does the Bible say about it? So in other words, God's design for sexuality, the Bible talks a lot about this word sexual immorality. It's the Greek word porneia, from which we get our word pornography from. And it's an all-encompassing word. I'll, I'll, I'll talk a bit about it. So the question is this. If God's design for sexuality was particularly sex, um, we're going to talk about sexuality as well in the sense of LGBTQ. We, I'm going to touch on it tonight, but we're going to dedicate a whole thing to that because it's such a massive topic today in today's culture, and you've got to take your time with it. When you're talking to people about LGBTQ issues, it's not little sound bites they need to hear. That's destructive for people. You need to hear a context. You need to understand what the Bible says and why the Bible says these things around the issues of homosexuality, etc. So I mean, that's, I'm going to touch on it, but that's going to be a session on its own. But I really want to talk about what does the Bible say about sexual immorality? There is tons of scriptures around this, friends. And what happens is we're in a culture where actually we don't read our Bibles much. And so some of these scriptures might actually be new to you. But you need to know this is what the scriptures say because that's the power of the word of truth that will form and fashion your heart through the Holy Spirit. And then I'm going to look at, just quickly jump through to some, what are some forms of sexual sin? I've got 12. And, and I want to kind of just touch on a few of those things, make some comments, and hopefully we will have taken some more ground in our understanding and our thinking around sexuality. So, just to start off with, I said I'm going to, we're going to go to LGBTQ and transgender and all those things, fluidity, sexual fluidity, etc., in a separate talk. But I do want to say this, friends. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 to 28, says this. So God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. This is chapter 1 of the book. Male and female, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Friends, the, the way God has designed the human body is in the two genders of male and female. And now what we do in today's culture is we conflate those and you can choose, your, you can choose one and not the other. If you're born with, with male genitalia, that doesn't mean you have to be male. 
And so there's this whole thing, and there's a whole thing called gender dysphoria, and all these things which you cannot deny, and there's intersectionality, and there's all sorts of things that, that happen, and there's conversations around that which we're going to get into. But I do want to say to you, friends, God designed, created us male and female, and it matters, your biology matters. Remember last week we said what's happened in the world, the, the, the worldview that we've come to kind of imbibe just by kind of the culture we're in, we don't mean to, we just take it in, is that we've separated body and values. we separated fact and values. And so what you do with your body doesn't mean anything. Who you are, it's actually, it, you separate those, those two things. Your personhood from your body gets separated. So in some sense, it's all about my personhood. I feel like I'm a male in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a woman's body. It doesn't matter what my body is because that's just there. But in other ways, it works the other way around. It doesn't matter what I do with my body. I can do anything with my body because it's just a piece of meat. So it's just, it's a, it's a profoundly confusing conversation if you don't understand this worldview Things. So the, the secular ethic is based on a worldview of nature, the materialistic view of nature. So it's about our bodies are products of purposeless, amoral, Darwinian forces, and therefore are morally neutral. So what you do with your body doesn't matter. Just recapping quickly, the implication of this is that what you do with your body has no moral significance. And we had a, a slide, which I, if you can put up, uh, Megan, that would be helpful. This slide here, where your body, your sexual relationship, your physical is separated from your personal, your mental, and your emotional relationship. And so hookup culture says you can turn off the top half, you can turn off the emotional part because it's just physical, it's just sexual. The problem is that's not how God has designed us. God has designed us to be a, a human being with all those parts together as one. And when you touch the one, you violate. The, if you violate one, you, you violate the other. If you touch one, you have an impact on all the others. We're not separate human beings. And the, the data is coming out more and more and more. The more people are having sex and trying to disconnect from their, from their emotions and their feelings, that's why often hookup culture goes to alcohol. Without alcohol, you can't do it. You can be, with, you can be the person that it, it, it happens where you have... Uh, in, the, in the hookup, you hook up with the same person every week. There's no relationship, no commitment, but there's normally a lot of alcohol involved. Why? Because you've got to deaden yourself to, to, to separate your body from your emotions. And this is the culture that we are in. Disassociating our bodies sexually from who we are as whole persons. And, how, and I said this, I said, remember, this goes into every form of reality. So, with euthanasia, for example, if, the person, if, if this person, this body, this, this human being is not considered a person, and a person is somebody that has human intellect, emotions, and can think, and while they seem to be not thinking and they've, they, they've kind of got issues with their with their, their brain function, we can just kill them. Because it's just body, it's fine, it makes no difference. Rather than seeing them as, as one body, one person, that actually, the same with abortion, etc., etc. I do want to correct something that I said last week. I said this. I said that in the high court now, there was a, 
There's a, there's a case where they're deciding on whether a baby born three days after is, is, can be aborted. It's not, it's not in the high court, but there's a guy by the name of Peter Singer from uh, Princeton University whose ethic is this, and they're pushing the agenda for that to be the case. So you can abort a baby three days after birth. Because only after three days will you find out that there's actually something wrong with it. And it's not really a human being yet, it's not really a person yet because it can't think properly and it's very dependent on others. And so they differentiate that. So you're only a person, you're not really a person because you can't think. And so there's this divide that continues to happen. Anyway, our sexuality was never meant to be separate from our deepest spiritual and relational longings but to be an expression of it. Our sexual relationships were to be an expression of our deepest spiritual and relational longings. And, and obviously the most, uh, the most extreme example of depersonalized sex is pornography, which is rampant. Average age of a boy engaging with pornography is nine in the States, nine years old. By the time he reached adulthood, 10 years, by the time he gets to 19, he's had 10 years of pornography fashioning and teaching him about sexuality and women. Imagine what that's going to do to his relationships. Imagine what that's going to do to the way he views women, the way he views his wife, the way he views his daughter. They say in 10 years' time, the reality of sex robots will be normal. Extreme depersonalization of the sexual act. It's just a body, which means I can just have sex with a robot. They say, I read this, they say that the first sex doll brothel has already been opened in, in Barcelona, Spain. The depravity of man, friends, and the hunger for belonging, the hunger for meaning and purpose, and what we do is we're using our sexual, um, our sex to try and find that meaning. It's actually religious in nature, trying to find God in our sexual outworking. Physical intimacy with, uh, without commitment, without the commitment of marriage, friends, is deeply destructive in so many different ways. We'll get into that now. So what is sexual immorality and what does the Bible say about it? We live in an age where, te for, where for teenagers... It's not normal if they're still virgins. If you're getting married and you've never had sex together, if you're getting married and you've never lived, lived together and you're at work, they think you're nuts. In fact, the normal thing is this. Are you one of the religious cut tops? What are you trying to do? Are you, you, you must be super religious. So this is the normal. It's, it's not normal for you to be a virgin when you get married. It's not normal for you not to be living, cohabitating with your future wife. People are obsessed with sex. What is sexual immorality? I've got a, a number of things. And I just want to go through the, the scriptures with you, friends, because it's so important that you get the scriptures. You can have my notes if you want them. So you don't have to take the notes. You can have the notes. But just listen to the text and let the text convince you because people have said this to me. They've come to me and they've said, but Stan, where does it say in the Bible you mustn't sleep with your wife or your, your girlfriend? 
Where does it say? Show me the text. I'm going to show you lots of text tonight. Lots of text. Number one, it was something that God ruled out in the law. I'm going to give you one from, or two texts from Exodus. It says this in Exodus chapter 20, verse 14. You shall not commit adultery. Having sex with somebody else's wife is wrong. I hope we do know that. It's wrong. Imagine if that was your wife and somebody else was having... It's an amazing thing. Our sexuality in this age, it's purely physical. It's not emotional. But boy, is it not purely physical when it's your girlfriend that cheats on you. When your girlfriend cheats on you or your boyfriend cheats on you, all of a sudden, hang on, it's not just physical. It's deeply emotional. Exodus chapter 20 verse 17 says this, you shall not covet your neighbor's house you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or his maidservant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. So there's a sexual ethic right there. This is before pre-marriage stuff that actually you, you, you keep yourself pure. The marriage bed, the marriage union is an exclusive one to each other. Nobody else comes in there between you. It's something that the New Testament makes even clearer. Matthew chapter 5 verse 27 says this. You've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully, we're going to talk about what lust is now, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. The Bible takes this thing and says this, listen, I don't want you to just gaze lustfully at the person because already you've lost it in your heart. It's wrong to do that. Don't do that. It's harmful for you. Remember, the reason why Jesus, God has got a big yes and a small no. The no in Christ is because it's harmful for us. It's not good for us. It's not good for our future relationships and it's not good for us physically. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 3 says this, but there must be not even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed because there is, this would be improper for God's holy people. There should not even be a hint of sexual immorality amongst God's people. A hint. Meaning the perception of it is wrong. Sexual immorality is anything that you would put under the category of porneia. It's lust. It's pornography. It's adultery. It's premarital sex. It's all in that big, it's clumped into that big one word. And he says here, he says that you, you shouldn't, it shouldn't even be a hint of that. Friends, I wanna, I'm praying that we would have a, there would be a grace on us as a people over this, particularly in this area, that there wouldn't be even a hint. You know what a hint is? You spend so much time with each other late at night that people think you're actually sleeping together. Now, you've done nothing wrong. But that's not the point. We're living for the glory of God. Even a hint. Bible takes it really, New Testament takes it deeper. In 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 3, it says this. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. There's the word again, avoid it. That each of you should learn to control his own body 
in a way that is holy and honorable. Not in passionate lust like the heathen do who do not know God. Learn to control your body. As a young man, your eyes have been designed by God to be attracted to women. To their body, to their breasts, to every part of them. Especially ones in a bikini. It's not a mistake from God. When God created you, he said, this is good. Been designed to be attracted to women. It's part of, it's part of who you are as a man. But he says this, make sure you do this in a holy and honorable way. Not like the heathen do who don't know God. So you've got to take these, these lusts, the, the, these, not these lusts, these passions, these desires, and bring them before the altar of God and say, God, please help me. Please help me that I can be poor. That I can give my wife the gift of my sexual purity. Even if she's not, I can be the one that doesn't. And the same thing for the ladies. It's a gift. I want to say to you again, for those that have messed up, one of the questions on sliders is, what happens if you've messed up the order? Leave your mother and father, be united, one flesh and no shame. What happens if you've messed up that order? The good news is Jesus. The good news is Jesus redeems, Jesus forgives, Jesus reconciles. Jesus comes along and makes it like new, makes you like new. There's forgiveness in him. There's redemption in him. There's, there's healing in him. There's nothing that you can do for which Jesus can't bring healing if you're humble enough to ask him and, and want it. What's interesting about that 1 Thessalonians 4 text? I've written down a whole lot of scriptures here. You know where it says there that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable? If you look in your Bible, there's a little letter or number there. If you go onto the letter at the bottom of your Bible, it'll be there. If you tap onto it on your, on your thing, it'll come up. There's an alternative rendering translation for that thing. You should learn to control your, your own body. Could also be translated like this. That each of you should learn to live with your own wife. Your own wife. Or... Or each of you should learn to acquire a wife in a way that is holy and honorable. Should, the way to acquire a wife in a way that is holy and honorable. A way to acquire a husband that is holy and honorable. Holy, unique, distinct. Like God, holy. But honorable. Honorable means value. Honor means value. It means you set a value for the person that you're dating. And you never let it drop. In fact, it's so valuable that you know you cannot, you cannot put your fingerprints on this person until they're yours in the, in the covenant of marriage, in which case they become yours and you become one. That's how much you value. That's what honor means. You treat them in a way that they're God's daughter or God's son before they're your husband or your wife. The word translated sexual immorality is usually pornoia, which I said earlier, and it includes sleeping together before you're married, homosexuality, bestiality, incest, all of those things. I mean, you go to, you go to Leviticus chapter 18, 
and go through the list of do not do this. Like, like it's absolutely bizarre that you would actually even have to say these things. Should I give you one or two? Like this is, this is, this is beyond my, my, um, my um, understanding. It's unbelievable humans. You think we're in a, in, a, in a day that's the worst we've ever been. No. Um, there's a whole lot here that are, that are more than that. Do not have sex with a close relative. Do not have sex with your father's wife. Your mother. Don't do that. Don't have sex with your sister. Don't have sex with your son's daughter or your daughter's daughter. Don't have sex with your father's sister, your aunt. Don't have sex with your daughter-in-law. Like you think that this would be kind of self-explanatory at some measure. No, you've got to tell people. That's why I'm telling you the scriptures tonight. Uh, don't have sex with your neighbor's wife. Don't give any of your children to burn sacrifice to the God of Moloch. Like don't give away your kids for sacrifice to the gods. They have to be told not to do that. Why? Because the culture demanded that of them. It was normal. It was normal. So they, the scriptures have to come in and say, you're a holy people. You're not like the rest. This is what I expect of you. Do not have sex with an animal and violate yourself by it. It's called bestiality. Don't do that. A woman must not have sex with an animal. That is perverse. But you see these things, these are, these are things that God expects. Why? Because what you do with your body matters. And you might be, think, well, sleeping with my girlfriend is not a problem. Well, use the same logic and apply it across all the sexual sins. Why would you not be a pedophile if it's not about emotional connection? It's just your body. The fact that you're messing up that kid's life, I mean, it's just beyond your, your thinking. Why would you not have sex with animals? It's just the body, and it's an animal. You're not even hurting. It's not like a human being. But there's, there's, kind of a, there's, a, there's a thought that you think, no, I'd never do that. Never do that. But use the same logic everywhere. We've got to think about how we living this thing out. Anyway, let's get back to sexual immorality originates within you. This is it. Mark chapter 7 verse 21 says this. For from within, out of man's heart comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, etc. It comes from within you, friends. It's, we've, got to, we've got to allow God in us to deal with the stuff in us so that we can become the people we call to be. God works from the inside out. It's not what comes from outside that makes you unclean. Jesus says it's what comes out of you that makes you unclean and what comes from your heart. And friends, the reality is, when, especially when it comes to sexual immorality and these things, man, it's just the right moment, it's the right conditions and it's so easy to manifest. And we've got to have an ability that we know these texts, we've meditated on these texts, 
And we said, God, please help me live in this, this kind of a life. Not by rules, but because I know of your great plan and your purpose for me. It's bigger than rules. Because by the time you get to that woman who is going to seduce you or that man who is going to take advantage of you, you should be saying no before you get there. If you have to leave it to a moment in a decision, then you're not going to be strong enough. The Bible says this, flee from sexual immorality. By the time you get there, you should be flipping belaguering out of there, running as fast as you can. Because you are going to get chowed. You are going to get chowed. And so this is, the, this is the, the reality in which we live. Mark chapter 7, it comes out of a man's heart. Sexual immorality is an issue of the heart. Well done, Spoons. You're like Heather with that thing. Just keep going. Just make it louder. It's not you this time. Number five, sexual immorality is an act of the sinful nature. Galatians chapter 5 verse 19. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. It's amazing. They're obvious. Sexual immorality in there, debauchery, impurity. It's the flesh that has got to be crucified with Christ so that we don't live like that. And if we leave it, leave, the, leave our hearts, our flesh, our this inner part, just unrestrained by the word of God and unrestrained by the gospel and the Holy Spirit is not giving us the power to overcome. Friends, we will go there. We live in a fallen world and we're all uniquely cracked and broken and we're gonna do it in different ways. But man, I tell you now, if you haven't got these things solidly baked into you by the time you get to the place that your decisions are already made long time ago, Man, it's going to be very difficult to withstand what's coming. Very difficult. I know of a man who had a radical call of God on his life. He met a beautiful woman in red. They met at a party. And then she said, or something happened, they arranged to meet each other at, I think, at her place. And he was driving to her place and the Holy Spirit was screaming at him, don't go there, don't go there, don't go there. But something had happened, we had given himself over to that. He couldn't, it's like, they ended up sleeping together, ended up going through a whole process of messing things up. Man, friends, we've got to be so, when you're sitting in front of the TV, Man, you don't even have to go onto the internet. You can just go onto TV and watch an R-rated, R18 thing, and it's hectic. It's hectic. It's porn. What do you do in that moment? Unless you understand this is an act of the flesh. This is not what God's called me to do. This is going to be harmful to me and my wife one day. And my relationships, Lord, you've got to help me now. Please stop me. Give me strength. Girls, please, please. Don't let boys touch you where they shouldn't. Don't let them pour you. They're satisfying themselves. They're not loving you. In that moment, that's enough. Sexual immorality is an act of the sinful nature. Immur impurity, etc. It will 
Sexual immorality will receive judgment. Oh, Stan, that's hectic. I thought we were in the gospel. No, this is what it says in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. Hebrews 13, verse 4. Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. This is a serious thing for God, friends. Isn't it incredible? I've done a lot of study and research into the cults and into the demonic realm. So many accounts of the demonic realm have to do with sex. People have stories having sex with demons. Part of these cults is sexual activity all the time. Why? Because it's the sacred thing that God's put together that the devil just rubbishes outside of the bounds of his word and his plans and purposes. Number seven, it's the one sin that we commit against our own body. Listen to what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. What does that mean? So when I steal, or when I've got greed, it's like, it's outside of me. But sexual sin, something happens inside of me. Just now I'm going to look at the science of what happens. Some of the hormones and things that get released when you have sex. But it's, it's this thing that you do, it's, it's not, you know what happens is, when you're counseling a couple, for example, that are having marriage issues, and one of the uh, counseling, they come, they've got marriage issues. And then you, you very quickly pick up one of the parties. They've almost lost their mind. You think, what's happened to you? This is not you. You're illogical. You're hectically critical. You are just unplayable. I've learned. That is probably adultery or sexual sin involved. Because it's the one sin you have picked your own, you affects your own body. It, it puts something into you. And once that thing gets into you, it's so difficult to deal with it. Why do you think once you've had sex with your boyfriend or girlfriend, it's difficult to break up? You think, no, it's hookup culture, it's just physical, it's not emotional. No, God hasn't designed that. It's so difficult when you ha are having sex with a, with a boyfriend or girlfriend to break up with them. And then what happens, you end up marrying the wrong person because you're having sex with them and you've lost your mind. You lose your mind. Stop thinking properly. Proverbs chapter five is full of this. It's amazing text around what happens when you lose your mind in sexual um, immorality. It talks about you lose your money. You, it's like you just go off the range. Number eight, sexual immorality is idolatry. It's taking sex or this person and putting them above God. This is what it says. Verse Colossians chapter three, verse five says this. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. 
Sexual immorality violates the first commandment. There should be no other gods before me. It's serious, friends. Don't relegate yourself to the immaturity of the culture. Be wise in God. Steward who you are in God. That relationship that you're longing for because you're lonely. I can tell you right now, you marry the wrong person. The pain of marrying the wrong person is way more, way more than the pain of walking a life of singleness. And when you get divorced, it is profoundly painful. Profoundly painful. I'm trying to say, let's, let's find God in this area. Let's not make sex our God. Let's keep God God and our spouses, our gifts from God to us so that together we can get on with the plan and purpose of God in love and unity and blessing. Number nine, the last one. Immorality is to take something essentially good and use it outside of the boundaries for which God intended it. Water sustains life, but floods kill it. What about this? Fire will keep you warm, but runaway fires kill. You take sexuality and put it outside of the bounds of marriage. It's like taking a nuclear reactor and not having all the, pre- all the, all the protection that it has in a nuclear reactor. You know, fusion, fission, all these things. It's like hectically, you need a nuclear waste. It creates nuclear waste. It's so powerful and it's not contained in these reactors. It blows up and Chernobyl's happen. Where there's just nuclear waste and radiation all over the place. Our sexuality, friends, is given to us as a gift to be given to our spouses and we, to steward it in such a way that actually we become a blessing and we can tell the story to the world around us. This is the way to go. I come back again. If you've messed up, you get before God on your knees. You go and confess to one of your friends and say, you know what, I messed up. Or you come to somebody and you say, please help and pray for me. And God forgives you. God can restore you in a moment as you walk the healing journey. What are the forms of sexual sin? Forms of sexual sin. Again, some key scriptures around this is um, Romans chapter one is a very big scripture, a very strong scripture. Verse 18 says this, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. These people now, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Friends, your thinking and your heart are connected. When your thinking becomes futile, your heart gets hard. And that's what happens when you're in sin, especially in sexual sin. You lose your minds and your heart, you lose, very quickly to follow is your heart. So now you can't think properly, but now you can't feel properly. You can't experience properly either. What you think is love actually isn't. What you think is a good call actually isn't. Now you need somebody to rescue and say, don't do that. I went to a man 
in this church. How's this for a story of God protecting somebody? He got involved with a lady. He was in his 30s, early 30s. And he was a good friend. He, he had a radical call of God over his life. And he got involved with this lady. But he grew up in a, in a hectic environment, like in an orphanage, like he wasn't family not cool. He got together with this girl, and I could see straight away, this is not good. This is not good for him, not good for her. And she was very newly saved, so she was like, game. She was not going to say no quickly. And I said to him, Brew, be very, very careful here. Be very careful. Anyway, it went through the process. And eventually I said to him, bro, you, you, this is so bad. I, and then he's like, hey, flip, we're pushing the envelope, we're pushing the boundaries, so I, please pray for me. This. I said, bro, this is wrong. This is wrong. I'm telling you now, this is going to hurt you, this relationship. I said, bro, you, need, you know what you need to do. And I said to them, actually, you need to break up. Anyway, Heather and I decide it was our wedding anniversary, so we're going to go up to the Midlands and just spend one night. We've got the kids babysat, and we were going to go and spend one night there. Beautiful meal, Cavisham Mill. I don't know if you know where that is. It's like beautiful. Cavisham Mill was a restaurant, and there was a little place where you stay up the road from that. They have nice pizzas and stuff there. So we thought, hey, you know what? We're going to have a quiet meal. We're not going to know anybody. We're going to just go and chill. So we're sitting in the restaurant. And I look up, and I see my brother and his girlfriend walking. Very intimate dinner that they were going to have in the Midlands. Anyway, I said to her, hey, check. Check who's coming. Anyway, so I'm ducking under the table because I want to give them a, like a fright. You know? they, they are going to just about die when they check us. Especially since I've had this conversation with him and he's vacillating and he's kind of a... Anyway, I pop out around the corner. Hey, guys, so nice to see you. I tell you what, she just about swallowed her fork. He swallowed his tongue. Hey, how's it, guys? Whatever. And I said to Heather beforehand, I bet you they're staying at the same place we are. <laughs> anyway, awkward moment. We get back. We were staying in these cabins, like, but they're cabins with a dividing wall and one on each side. <laughs> they're not only staying in the same place as us, they're staying in the same cabin in the opposite wall to us. <laughs> we get there, their car's parked there, our car's parked there. You've got to know it was an awkward breakfast the next morning. How's it, eh, guys? How's it going? How was last night? He since has, didn't get married to her, got broke up with her and has got married to an amazing woman. Who we married. Married them. And they've got kids, beautiful kids. They're not, they're not in Durban anymore. But I tell you what, friends, why did I even tell you that story? <laughs> Sometimes you need somebody to rescue you. You need somebody to rescue, and you've got to be humble enough to be rescued. Stop punching the lifesaver. What you need is a lifesaver to, mm, and you go. Otherwise, you're going to drown the lifesaver as well. 
Their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. I tell you what, friends, the wisdom of God, worldly wisdom cannot compete to the wisdom of God. I pray that you see these talks, these moments, as the wisdom of God setting you up for a future. Do not take the wisdom of the world, as good as it might sound, it is worthless. It is worthless if it contradicts the wise wisdom of God. Put the wisdom of God above the wisdom of the world, even if you think it's old school. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal men and birds with animals and reptiles. Therefore God gave them over to their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. It's a radical thing. Eventually your cravings, God gives over to your cravings. He says, well, I can go then. Stop, boy. Stop, girl. No, no, no. No, don't do that. No, don't do that. Eventually God's like, okay, if you want to do this, go. By the grace of God, he's there to pick up the pieces when they fall apart because they will fall apart. But sometimes he gives it over to us and you think, well, nothing, look how awesome it is. No, friends, it's coming around the corner. Don't, you can't violate the wisdom of God. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised, amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts, sexual desire, friends. It's in the very fabric of the darkness of this place, world. I keep saying this, the most prophetic thing the church can do is to live morally, sexually pure lives. It ministers without even saying anything. It says something to the world. But when we same as the world, it doesn't say anything. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. It's one of the big texts against the homosexuality argument. Men committed indecent acts with, one, with other men and received in themselves the due penalty of their per perversion. Furthermore, since they did not, this is not just old school Bible, friends. This is the word of God. Let the word of God hold you and take you, deepen you, thrust you deep. Let the roots of the word of God hold you in this culture. The wind is going to come and try to push you and dislodge you. Anyway, we're not going to move into this section. We're going to have a whole session on it. Furthermore, verse 28, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. They've become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but they approve of those who practice them. It's the deep, dark underbelly of this world. And guess where it starts in the beginning? Sexual sin. Sinful desires, shameful lusts, depraved minds, every kind of depravity. When we reject God, the first thing to follow, friends, is sexual immorality. 
when we take the wisdom of God and put it aside, the first thing, your natural instinct that God has given you, this desire for the opposite sex, for, for intimacy, for it's, it's right there. And if you can't find intimacy with God, you're going to find intimacy with people. And it takes you, that's the first thing that goes, is your sexual purity. I want to say this, any form of rebellion in your heart will ultimately always manifest in sexual sin. Pride, sexual sin. Arrogance, sexual sin. Greed, sexual sin. When you've got enough money to buy whatever you can, very dangerous place to be. You know, a prostitute is still a prostitute. It doesn't matter if you paid 10,000 or 20,000 rand a night or 100 rand a night, still a prostitute. And when you've got money, you can, you've got options. Man, if you're disconnected from God and you're very wealthy, oh my gosh, the depravity that you can get up to. Let the wisdom of God hold us. Let the love of God compel us. Let's have a look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer, no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Futility of their thinking. The world is wrestling for your mind, for your thought life. It's wrestling, trying to put thoughts in you, trying to, put, trying to give you a worldview to think in a different way that's not the wisdom of God. The futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Notice the progression. Futility of thinking, hardening of heart. Hardening of heart produces a futility of thinking. They connect it. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality. So they've lost sensitivity towards God. And what, they do, what we do is we then give ourselves over to sensuality. Porneo. So as to indulge every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. Friends, when you go down this road, it doesn't stop. It doesn't satisfy. So you have to have more and more and more and more. Jeffrey Dahmer, who knows who Jeffrey Dahmer is? The big serial killer. There was a, it was actually a Netflix series. You know what his issue was? They interviewed him. James Dobson interviewed him. Go and look up James Dobson interview of Jeffrey Dahmer. You know where it started? Pornography. Got hooked as a child on pornography. Eventually, pornography was, enough, was not enough. It didn't give you enough of an addiction dopamine high. So you go from pornography to sex. To, and eventually, eventually, you animals. And eventually, it's necrophilia, sex with dead people. Continual lust for more. The wisdom of God says, hold yourself, restrain yourself. Find the spirit of God to find self-control. Treat your own body and treat those that you're in a relationship with, with honor and, and holiness. It will go well with you. Continual lust for more. This is the problem. Increased exposure to sexual sin doesn't lead to indifference. Ah, it just becomes normal. It doesn't just lead to that. 
but rather it desensitizes us. That produces a craving for more potent and more destructive stimulation. Don't go down that road. If you're down the road, come back. You've got an opportunity in Jesus during this course, over this time, to say, God, please help me. Stop me from going down the hill. Pull me back in the name of Jesus. Sexual sin, forms of sexual sin, lust. What is lust? Lust is desire made God. It's good desires that God has given you that have become God. It's idolatry. It's pictures in the mind. Sexual sin always begins in the mind and in the heart. comes from the Greek word epithumia, meaning a longing or a desire for what is forbidden. To set your heart on something. A minor version of that is a man with a car. When a man wants to buy a car, once his heart gets set, that's the car. You can come with all sorts of things. That's the car for it. Epithemia lust when it comes to sexual sin. It's consuming. It's obsessive passion that focuses um, uh, and makes the, the, the object of attraction an object. It's, it dehumanizes. It depersonalizes because it's all about you. Lust is not love. Love, the definition of love is to live for the best of another. The definition of lust is to live for the best of you. And that's why Jesus says, it's not just doing it, it's thinking it, it's in your heart that it starts. Lust is counterfeit love. It's this deep desire for release or satisfaction sexually at the expense of others and yourself. Somebody said this, the perversion of sexuality starts with loving somebody for yourself and not for themselves. That's what lust is. It's loving somebody for yourself, not for them. It's the opposite of love. Lust is selfish, love is selfless. Lust gratifies self, love acts in the best interests of others. Lust takes, love gives. If you're going out with somebody that is not giving, that's always taking, break up with them. Want to get married to a giver, not a taker. Lust can't wait to get. Love can always wait to give. Love can always wait to give. Ladies, don't think you have to have sex with a man to keep him. If you have to have sex with a man to keep him, he's not worth keeping. Get rid of him. You are way more valuable than that. You're way more valuable than that chops lust. I want to tell you, it's not, not, not joking. You were raised by your mother and father, especially if you were raised in this house, to be a godly woman that deserves a prince, a king for a husband. I say to Natalie, 
You want to marry a lion, not a hyena. Hyenas, hyenas will chow you and chow you and chow you. Lions are regal. They're kings. Hyena is destructive. Lion. So you've seen the reality of the Lion King, what happens when the lions thing and the, when the hyenas rule. You know that Lion King? If you remember, that's old now. Paradise when the lions rule, when the hyenas rule, destruction. Plenty hyenas out there. Watch out for the hyenas. All they want is food for themselves, not thinking about the future. Lust sees people as objects. Love sees people made in the image of God. Lust denies relationship. Love reinforces relationship, holds relationship, honors relationship. And lust produces bad sex because it denies relationship. You'll never have satisfying sex with somebody if they're in lust. You have to be in love in marriage for you to have satisfying, fulfilling sex. Jesus condemned, Richard Foster said this, Jesus condemned lust because it cheapened sex. Jesus condemned lust because it cheapened sex. It made sex less than what he had created it to be. For Jesus' sex was too good, too high, too holy to be thrown away by cheap thoughts. Have a high view of your body and have a high view of sex. Don't cheapen it by giving in to the culture of the world that says that you're a prude, that you are not living in the fullness of who you are because you're not having sex with your boyfriend. What about masturbation? This is probably one of the most asked questions ever. Obviously, masturbation is the stimulation of our sexual organs in an attempt to find sexual pleasure or release. No, somebody said this. Um, no other sexual activity has been so frequently discussed, so roundly condemned, and, and more universally practiced than masturbation. What about it? Well, what happens is we're either in extreme guilt because we're masturbating and we know we shouldn't, or we're in this place where I've got sexual tension and actually I've got to have a release. Problem is, friends, we're not victims of uncontrollable urges. We're not animals. We're made in the image of God. We're responsible for our own actions. What does the scripture say about masturbation? Nothing. Somebody said this. They use a text. In Genesis 38 verse 4, it says, Onan, Onan this is in the Bible, Onan spilled his semen on the ground. And so they were saying he was masturbating, so you mustn't do that. That had, he was, had nothing to do with masturbation in that moment. Onan wasn't masturbating. He was having sex with somebody. So what does the Bible say? It doesn't say anything, really. But then what, what you do need to understand about masturbation is it won't ever satisfy. Sexual longings are associated with a deeper need than an orgasm. 
deeper need of oneness and intimacy, and you can never find that by yourself. So it actually can be the most frustrating thing ever. In fact, fulfillment and satisfaction, mostly in marriage, comes from pleasing your partner, your spouse, not from pleasing yourself. That's where the fulfillment, that's where the, that's where the, the gold is. It's in pleasing your wife or your husband. And when you're constantly pleasing yourself, it doesn't satisfy. How about I can say this, that the scripture says, talks about lust and you shouldn't make this desire God. I don't know how you masturbate without lust. In fact, lust doesn't, it, it, it makes it worse. It, it, it um, makes your craving worse. In fact, it, if, if you're not in pornography, it will lead to pornography. And then that's what, porno, that's what you do in pornography, is you masturbate. Generally. Tough. Reality. A drug that is, a drug that is as addictive as cocaine, pornography, but way more accessible. Accessible anywhere, on your phone, everywhere, all the time, 24-7. And if you haven't made that decision for purity, you will, there is a, real, a reality of a physical release that when a, a male, there's a semen kind of build-up thing, and that gets released in a thing called wet dreams or not whatever it is they called. I want to say night terrors, but they're not night terrors. What they called? <laughs> not, not, uh, nocturnal emissions. Thank you, Dr. Beth. It's a nocturnal emission. So you don't have to. 1 Corinthians 6 says this, just because it, it mustn't, see you, it's, it's, all things are permitted, permissible, but not all things are beneficial. And things are permissible, but, not, but make sure they don't master you. If you get addicted to masturbating, you've got to ask yourself, what is, why, why have I got this? What's the loneliness? What's, the, what's this trying to satisfy that I'm not finding in God and I'm not finding in my, in my, in my friendships and in my community? Not that you're meant to be finding sex in your community, but you know what I mean. What about pornography? Lust, pornography. Again, I want to actually spend a bit of time on pornography because it is so rampant. It is so, the reality is the stats say this, that two-thirds of the men or two-thirds of the people, not just men, in this, actually no, two-thirds of the men sitting in this building will be into porn. And the stats are not that much different for women growing stats toward for women. Friends, pornography is so detrimental to marriages. The stats are that if a man is into pornography while he's married, he's twice as, twice as likely to get divorced. The problem with pornography, it's not real. Number one, it releases something in you that is unhelpful. But just so you know, in marriage, it's not real. 
It's a show, it's an act. Your wife will never measure up to that woman. She's not a porn star, she's your wife. Pushes people to act out what they see. Jeffrey Dahmer. It dehumanizes, it demoralizes. It's hugely detrimental to our function as human beings, friends. It's an addiction. It's an addiction. And it's highly addictive. We'll touch on that more later. Just to say, that's one of the sexual sins, just in case you didn't know. Number three, voyeurism. Have you heard of that, voyeurism? Some people have. Some people are like, what? Voyeurism is watching other people have sex. Crawling up to the, I mean, we used to be hectically naughty when we were working down the south coast with contractors. Oh, I talk from experience here, guys. I'm not, I'm not like a church nerd. Huh? What's that? Voyeurism. People's minds are going wild. Voyeurism is watching, uh, watching other people have sex and you, you, you're kind of peeping, peeping Tom's looking through. It's a, it's a, it's a thing. It's a, it's a disorder. It's sexual sin. You're getting, you're getting this thing because you're wanting to see. It's like, it's like pornography, not on the screen, but in reality. Sexual sin. None of that. It's all linked to the same thing. I'm just putting it out there. Just saying, when we were young, bunch of oaks in a single quarters. There was an oak that worked there that nobody liked. He was a, he was a carpenter, Portuguese pot carpenter. When this oak ate, you kind of step back because he just chowed food everywhere. Like. So we always used to mock him. But then every now and again, you'd have a girl come to the, the single quarters. Now you've got a bunch of five or six other single guys that have had a few drinks and just think it's the funniest thing in the world. It's wrong, friends. So unhelpful. That's what voyeurism is. Premarital sex. Obviously, it's prohibited in the Scriptures, friends. Find a wife in a holy and honorable way. This is what the science says. Oxytocin was discovered because of its role in childbirth and breastfeeding. The chemical is released by when, when a mother breastfeeds her baby and it stimulates an instinct for caring and nurturing. It's often called the attachment hormone. Scientists discovered that oxytocin is also released during sexual intercourse, especially but not exclusively in women. The desire to attach to another person when you have sex is not only an emotion, but it's part of your chemistry. It's the one sin that you commit against your own body. Part of your chemistry, your brain, your, your body is designed by God perfectly, perfectly that when you have sex, caring and nurturing is part of the deal. Attachment is part of the deal. That's why it's so painful and why it's so difficult to break up with somebody when you're having sex with them. Oxytocin has also been shown to create a sense of trust. 
something was that I was reading this afternoon. So you almost, you create this kind of involuntary chemical commitment to this person you're having sex with. There's another one, another um, neurochemical thing called vasopressin. I don't know if I've said it right. But it stimulates bonding with a woman, and this is primarily in men, this one gets released. It, it stimulates bonding with a woman and with offspring. Vasopressin has been dubbed the monogamy molecule. So this thing, when you're having sex, it actually gets released and so it creates bonds and attachment. Your chemicals in your body and in your brain begin to put these things in place. Don't try to separate your emotions from your physical body. Your body itself is designed to attach and to bond. And every time you hook up, you're repeatedly breaking the, body, the promises that your body's making in that moment. That's destructive. It becomes more and more destructive. Sexual intercourse is the most intimate form of physical union and is meant to express the ultimate form of personal union in marriage. Friends, save yourself. And if you haven't saved yourself and you've gone down the wrong road, stop now and say, Jesus, help me. I want to be pure on my wedding day. Please, will you make me pure again? The question is, what constitutes marital sex? How low can you go? Big question. You read the studies, you read the books, and kids today are in malls having anal sex because they don't believe it's sex. Having oral sex because they don't really believe that's sex. It's okay. Remember purpose. Remember the two big things, person and person. Personhood and purpose. When you're becoming that intimate with people, your personhood is being affected and your purpose is being affected. Don't give away. Don't give those things away to people. Do you know what, I asked Natalie before, do you know what foreplay is? Foreplay is the, the thing that you do as you're building up towards sex. Every single one of these things, friends, are, are designed to be part of the whole. They're designed to build you up towards sexual intercourse. And, that, and how low can you go? Well, where, where does it come to the point where you actually can't say no, you have to go all the way? Where does it actually, it, it takes you beyond where you want to be? Well, you've got to be that side of that mark. The Bible says this in, in Proverbs chapter 5. I know this. And for me, this is a, it says this. A loving, in verse 19, a loving dear, graceful dear, may her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated by her love. I do know this, the breasts of a woman are there to satisfy her husband, not her boyfriend. Get before God and say, God, friends, I'm giving you the gold standard. I'm giving you the wisdom of God. Get before God and say, God, help me. Yeah, but people will say, I'll, I'll actually end with this section. People say this. But it feels so right. I love this person. It feels so right. Proverbs 14 verse 12 says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. 
Just because it feels right, it doesn't mean it's right, friends. A sexual act is right in marriage. But we love each other. The love of Scripture is not about taking. The love of Scripture is honoring and giving. We want to see if we're compatible. Friends, everybody is sexually compatible. You're sexually compatible. If you love each other, you're sexually compatible. You'll give yourself to one another. You don't have to... Sexually compatible, that means you're going to experiment. Your boyfriend or girlfriend is not a lab rat that needs experimenting on to see if this is going to work. And then the favorite one is, is what about, um, uh, well, what difference does a piece of paper make? Might as well just have sex. What difference does a piece of paper make? Friends, a piece of paper in itself makes no difference. But let me tell you this. I don't need a piece of paper because I love you. What do you mean by love? What do you mean by I love you? You see, you're assuming that love is a feeling. It's not a commitment. It's not acting for the best of somebody. I feel a romantic passion for you and the piece of paper doesn't enhance that at all. In fact, actually, as soon as you get married, that's when it all goes wrong. People say that. Friends, the marital piece of legal document doesn't mean anything. But let me tell you right now, that commitment makes all the difference. You see, when God speaks of love, he means living for the best of another. I don't have, I don't love you. And by saying that, we don't need a piece of paper. We can just live together for the rest of our lives and have kids and all those sorts of things. It's saying this, I don't love you enough to close off all my other options. The question is this, how much are you willing to lose for the sake of this person? How much are you willing to give up for the sake of this person? It's not just a piece of paper. What about this? To say it's just a piece of paper, you're saying, I don't love you enough to give myself to you thoroughly and absolutely. You're saying there's a limit to which I'm willing to give myself to you. If a piece of paper doesn't mean anything, then get married. I don't need a piece of paper to love you is basically saying my love for you has reached, has not reached the the marriage level yet. Friends, man, the Bible says it's sin to be sleeping together before you're married. I'm sorry to be old school. But Jesus said it. All sorts of other sexual sin, adultery, incest, pedophilia, bestiality, sadism, sadism, masochism, um, maso, how do you say it? Masochism, yeah. Necrophilia, all these things are all sexual sin. I'm not going to go into them any more than what I've said. But I'm trusting that God is rewiring our thinking so that we're not sinking to the level of the culture. I want to bring us back up again. And where you've messed up, I want to help you stand back up again. In Jesus' name. Father, I ask you, Lord, we're going to answer one or two questions quickly now. I ask you, Jesus, help us. Let the wisdom 
of heaven break into our hearts. I look at some of the faces of the young girls here, which I've watched growing up. They've now beautiful, beautiful young girls, women. I pray, put a strength in them, Lord. Put a strength in them that they will stand. I pray that the men, young men, would stand up and act with honor and holiness in acquiring wives. I pray those of us that are married, I pray that you would help us, Lord, to live fully satisfied, fulfilled sexual lives. We just ask you, Father, that you would help us on this journey. For those that are single, that are lonely, that are walking with you, Jesus, as best as they know how, help us, Lord. Everybody in the room, Lord, I pray help us, Jesus, with your wisdom and with the power of your spirit. I pray none of these words would be condemnation. I pray all of these words would lead to the conviction of the Holy Spirit in our lives, the finger of God in areas in our life to help us become who you have called us to be. I pray no judgment, no no condemnation upon any person, Lord God. We know that there's health in you. We know that there's forgiveness in you. We know that there's restoration in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's just take one or two questions if there are any any that I've not covered. Maybe there's some new ones from tonight. I don't know. Not that I got all the answers. Beth's got all the answers. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry. I think you answered quite a lot of them just in... uh throughout what you said, Stan. But one of the questions was just around, practically, uh, as an unmarried person, what do you do with sexual arousal when not married? You know, considering how media, everything is just throwing it at you, are are you meant to just pray it away? Mm. That's the question. I think you've got to be prayed up all the time. Like I said, actually the way to to winning this battle is that when you come to the moment, you've already won the battle before. You've made a call in God. You've made the battle. And if you made a decision beforehand, when you get to the battle line, at least you know what to do. If you're waiting to make a decision on the battle line, you're going to lose the battle, especially in this area. Paul, Beth, thoughts around these things? Melindy? The one thing is this, if you turn down a no-entry road or a dead-end road, you've got trouble coming. But when you're driving, you know I'm not going to turn down that road when, as soon as you see the sign. And for me, the, the, the signs are there before you get to the road, and that's the time to stop. I see the sign. But as Stan said, if you've prayed up and you're ready to hit the sign, then the minute the sign comes, you can go. And also, when you're driving, the co-pilot next to you reads those signs as well. So together, you can say stop. Because that's where, when you go down the no entry, you can, God fixes everything. But if you don't go down it, that's the help. As a single person, 
Heather and my relationship wasn't as godly as what I would have loved it to have been. I was nowhere with God when I met Heather. I think, it's inc- just to know this, it's incredibly difficult. There's no, this is a difficult journey. There's compassion. I have compassion. I think, I've often thought, what would happen if something happened to Heather and I was single again and now wanting to get remarried or whatever. I'm like, oh God, please help me, Jesus. And my heart goes out to you single guys that are. Make a decision. Get a friend that you're going to be accountable to. Get a friend you can be accountable to. That when you're a weak place, hey, I'm, please help me. Have friends that you can be intimate with that without having sexual intimacy. There is a, there is a moment in heaven we're going, to trans, we're going to move from this earth, Jesus says, when you go to heaven, you're not going to be given in marriage. But then we're going to have incredible intimacy with Jesus and with each other without having sex. Incredible intimacy. As a prophetic people, we've got to find what that intimacy is like now. It says, it, says of, it says of Israel, I will be like a husband to you. We've got to find somewhere in God on the journey of singleness, in our purpose and in the plan of God, in accountability with, French, with, 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 with friends, and, and, and intimacy, deep friendships, intimate friendships. You know when you've got up from a table when you've been connecting with a friend. It's been no sexual whatsoever. But you know you've just connected. And you feel strong. If you haven't got those relationships in your, heart, in your life, you're going to battle. So I think those are some of the thoughts that I would have. There's Melindy. Thanks, Dan. Just briefly, I just also wanted to share that if you have friends that are walking in that, that talk to them. Lufefe and I, we had friends that were constantly talking into our relationship. It's a long story of how we met, but at some point we were sharing a flat because I was broke, he was working, <laughs> and, but we had a home group that said, you can't live together. I had my brother living in that flat as well, so it looked safe. But our home group constantly said, you can't live together because what's going to happen is you're going to cross the line. So I just want to encourage you that you also, with your friends, talk to your friends. It helped us because we thought, no, we can handle it, but they said, you can't. You have to live in separate buildings. And so we did. I had to find a job and move out. (laughs) So, yeah. I will talk in one of the sessions around how do we do, do, um, actually what I'll do is I'll look at Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2 verse 20 says this, it says, since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not touch, Do not taste. Friends, you will never overcome sexual desire by rules. Never. Can't do it. These rules have 
these, these rules, which have, uh, have to do with, th with things that are all destined to perish with use, these rules have got to do with things that are destined for perish, to perish with use, are based on merely, merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Any value. You've got to be with Jesus. You've got to find something in Him. This is not easy. But not easy is not an excuse. We have the power of the Holy Spirit walking with us day by day. One more. You got one there, Sarah? Um, it says, if you are entering a relationship with a Christian and they admit they are not a virgin, what do you do? Not being a virgin is not the unforgivable sin. If God has forgiven them and restored them, you need to forgive and restore. Let them realize they've been made new in Christ. But if that's an issue for you, don't get married to them. You've got a choice before you get married not to marry them. Once you're married, you love your choice. Before you get married, you choose to love. After you get married, you love your choice. You learn to love your choice. Simple. Done. You've got an opportunity right there. But don't, but don't um, it's not like now you're only going to get married to a virgin if that's the person that God's got for you. If that's, what God, if that's the person in God for you, right thing, planned, purpose, all those things, the stars align, the, everything aligns, you've got to know Jesus washes clean. Pure. Purer than snow. White. Clean by the blood of Jesus. You got something to say? Also, that there's also amazing things. I'm not sure if you've heard about soul ties. Um, we can go into a bit of detail in that in a few weeks, in a week's time or so. But um, obviously, when you've been with somebody intimately and sexually, there are your your souls get joined. One of the other questions was, um, I think, talking about how you get bonded when you are intimate sexually with somebody. So when you are getting together with somebody who hasn't been a virgin, it is helpful to meet with somebody to actually pray through those things of soul ties mm. because um, it does affect you going into marriage. Yeah. I don't know if you want to elaborate a bit on that. So that is something you do want to consider when you're coming together and meeting with whoever you're going to walk with into marriage. I think it's helpful. Yeah. Um, I wanted to read this to you. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 12. I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. That's the text I was talking about just now. You have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say food for the stomach and stomach for the food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. And the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them to a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, lost my pages now. For it is said, the two will become one flesh. 
But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality and all other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually commits a sin against their own body. The point is this, when you have sex with somebody, there's something in your body chemically that happens, there's something spiritually and there's something emotionally that happens. You are designed to become one flesh. You are designed to become intimate, 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 designed with one flesh. And so when you've done that, it's very difficult to shake that off. So you need prayer just to release you from anything that might be holding you back. And you've got to talk through comparison because that's one of the big things that happens when people have had sexual relationships coming into marriage. Is comparison. If it's the, if it's the, if it's the woman, either way, it doesn't matter. There's this comparison. Will I measure up sexually to your previous things, partners? And you've got to get rid of that. You've got to talk about that and you've got to release that and you've got to pray for those things. So... These are, all, these are all different. Friends, if you're getting married, you're walking into marriage, if you're young, can I just say to you, can I just say to you, healthy relationships are accountable relationships. If you're a young couple and you are, and I'm saying even super young maybe, and you're in a relationship, you need to come and submit your relationship to other people so that they can help you journey with that. We'll talk about relationships. Maybe Nick and Jan can talk about relationships in one of the sessions. But allow somebody to talk into that and help you through that. Not always helpful to be talking to your mom and dad, or not that your mom and dad shouldn't know, but, but you need somebody outside of your family just to, just to help you. That will give you honest feedback. Don't, don't talk to people. You're in a community that knows, loves, and has got the best for you. Talk those things through. And that's why premarital counseling is so important because you begin to talk some of those things, ask some of those questions, get healing along the journey so that when you stand up before the, that day when you're getting married and you're going to say, I do, you're ready to get married, you're whole. Okay, last one. I think just from those crazy stats around porn and those sorts of things. The question is, what can we do when we enter a relationship with a person who admits they are addicted to porn? Hold your heart. Be careful. It's an addiction. It's not like a little fetish. It's an addiction. It's difficult to... to kick addictions. Be careful. It doesn't mean you shouldn't journey them into wholeness or help, but if your heart starts going, it's, it's, remember, if you've got a porn addiction before you get married, it doesn't mean getting married and now you're having sex is going to get rid of the porn addiction. It doesn't mean that at all. It's an addiction. You take the addiction with you into marriage. If that thing that makes an addiction, it's the, the, the addiction is something that is missing in your life, that you are creating, making God, that you are, that's the addiction. If you don't deal with that, you carry it through. If you're, in a, if you're in a relationship, I know marriages that are wrestling and struggling because the husband is in a porn addiction and she's feeling I'm not enough. He, he has to look at prediction. Actually, the sex life is completely messed up. Their marriage is in tatters. It's a difficult thing to deal with. 
If I was a young girl and, I was, and, a, and a young guy was, uh, that comes out that he's in a porn addiction, I'd be very, I'd be very holding my heart. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say just blow him off completely, but man, I'd be very careful with that until he's de- dealt with that. Remembering, remembering, when you get married one day, you want to marry somebody that knows how to deal with their stuff. If he's not dealing with his stuff before you get married, he's not going to deal with it after you get married. You want to see signs that this man loves you enough and loves Jesus enough to deal with his stuff. Don't give your heart to that man yet. Be careful. Whatever you have, whatever your weaknesses are before marriage, multiply it by 100 once you're married. It shows it up when you're married way more than when you were dating. You want, to be able to, you want to be able to be as free as possible. Nobody's perfect. Nobody's Jesus walking on this planet, except Heather's married to Jesus. That's the closest you're going to get to it. But other than that, other than Heather's husband, there's no Jesus. We're all just fallen human beings trying our best to love Jesus and love each other and love our wives and our kids as best as we can. Not perfection progress somebody that knows how to progress their life in God anyway Nick and Jan can talk about choosing husbands and wives later anyway guys I think we've had enough there it's like seven o'clock already